Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Today's story comes from someone I admire and believe in and have had the chance to get to know these past few months. Paul McCarthy is the founder and author of the forthcoming book on fired leadership. I first heard Paul speak about his work and thought leadership on the Humans Now and Then podcast with Rebecca Scott. While listening, I found myself stopping in my tracks as Paul posed questions that, frankly, no one dared to say aloud before. At the heart of his inquiry is a purpose-driven desire to understand why, after almost $400 billion a year is spent on leadership development, it still isn't working. Paul speaks his truth and shares facts that many organizations do not want to admit plain and simple. And in his inquiry and investigation for even more truth in this industry, Paul helps us understand what some may consider an ongoing unsolved mystery. Why is it that after all this investment in top talent, organizations are continuing to fire their top talent? As Paul asks each question in numerous interviews this year, I find myself listening deeper and relating to his experience. Paul asks leaders, and you the listeners, are you courageous enough to have an honest conversation about what isn't working in your organization's approach to leadership development? Paul's story and his work brings up a lot for me, and I know that many of us have similar and shared experiences. My hope and intention in sharing his story, my story, and our stories is that we each can individually and then collectively muster up the courage and integrity to start having different conversations and make change at the heart of the problem in leadership development today. This conversation is important. The implications are exponential. The need is pressing. The future generation of leaders depends on us to unsubscribe from a false narrative and author a new way forward that involves fresh thinking, inquisitive thinking, real and accountable conversations, expressive and challenging questions, and direct and transparent communication. Um, how are you doing this morning? Oh, Bill, I, this Brian Rose character, he's a line on a t-shirt, he's a slogan, and, and I, I was watching this 
reconnect documentary and i i was i had I, I was preempting what he would say and i was thinking if, if i know what he's going to say it must be bullshit like like i'm pre i could predict what he was about to say and, and his his sense of genuineness didn't seem genuine for me and i i'm i think i'm disappointed i'm not so surprised because he's a a figure of you know in the social spotlight that he would use use that as a perhaps a tool a tactic and it's so coincidental that he's running for mayor of london as well but i i thought what he did a disservice to more was the deep-rooted anthropological history of the role that ayahuasca plays in society and spiritual uh, enlightenment and evolution i think he made a mockery of it actually and uh, and i was i was really insulted and i was actually going to respond because i in order to to watch the video i had to um, subscribe to london reel and and so i then got access to it and then there was an opportunity to provide some comments and i thought yeah it's on his platform most of the people are really celebratory of him and they may not they might get deleted and i i just no, I wasn't wasn't too happy about it. So. Yeah, I had that very similar reaction. You know, I, I I knew nothing really about him until, as I mentioned to you the other you know the other day, someone said, "Oh, you should look at his work. His portfolio is great," and um, and then I came across that like, "Oh, well, he's done all this spiritual work. Okay, well, let's take a look at this." And I'm my my youngest brother and I were actually watching it together, um, and. We were both screaming at the TV, like, no, please don't, no. And, you know, the ending scene when he's back on that stage and screaming at all those people, it was just, it broke me. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Uh, well, Dan Penner, uh, Dan Penner, uh, I, what a deplorable human being. Right. What, what, a, what a, just what a foul-mouthed, um, soulless, vacuous individual. Who right. just to me is 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 one of the things that typifies what's wrong with positioning ourselves as gurus in the world yeah. and trying to do something different. Just a just a you know a, a used car salesman, a snake oil salesman, just didn't sense anything from him that was authentic. Yeah. And 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 yeah, really quite really quite nasty actually mm -hmm. the way he spoke to. Even the way he spoke to Brian, right. um, but but in that those seminars that he he did, just his whole Gordon Gecko approach. Yeah, I mean we're over that. We're over that. Long That's, over that. We're long over that. And and anyone that doesn't realise that is, is still in the dark ages. And I just kind of I was so disappointed that that this trife gets put out and in, into the mass and masses. Followed. And, and that's the thing, right? It, I mean, it, it, it lands squarely at our feet talking about leadership because I'm sitting here saying to myself, this is an example of someone who's out there saying, this is what success looks like. And you have to be this kind of person to be a leader. And mm. man, I mean, it, it brought up so much to me in the sense of this is what's wrong with leadership. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, for me, there's, there's only one thing worse than um, in that context. That, you know, there's only thing, one, one thing worse than bad leadership, and it's people that are pretending that they've done the work 
yeah. that they need to the internal work and and we you know from our conversations i mean it's been something that i've been uh, plagued with and and i you know and this isn't isn't a segue into this kind of part of the conversation but it's really quite something i'm passionate about because those that really do the work know that they're doing the work and they don't have to publicize it so right. why do you have to publicize that you're doing the work and you're faking it and this right. is what brian rose kind of just conjured up in me which of course then i went back to my shadow self and thought am i faking it but then i was like but i'm not because i'm really looking in deep and i'm listening to all the ugliness that comes out and and i don't need to you know i don't need to publicize it except as it's it's something i feel that doesn't get talked about a lot and i and i you know and you know when i was doing my research as part of the book and um you know reviewing how effective leadership development programs are very few of them look at that part of you as a person the self awareness the, right. the inward reflection and nobody nobody really gives it the credence that it deserves they they think it's like you know tree hugging and you know right. let's all keep everybody kumbaya but it's it's, it's not it's the it's the foundation for us being who we are meant to be and i just it's such a, a topic that i'm passionate about that i really believe we need to go back to the school system and yes. inject this approach to learning about ourselves in that environment. Well, and I mean, th I think so much of it, like I was reflecting on this last night after we connected, you know, um, as you said, like go back to the school, go back to where we teach people about the importance of honesty and integrity and the golden rule and, and all of that stuff is that's sort of um, planted during the primary school years. Um, but at some point we lose we lose sight of those things and we're we're matriculated into systems that that in some way don't value those things. And what, what really made me think about it was, you know, as you talked about kind of the purpose driven work you're doing, so much of it is rooted and built on um, the power of honesty mm -hmm. and how we lack the ability to have honest conversations. And one of the things I I reflected on last night was when I first heard you on the podcast with Rebecca Scott. And I went back and looked at the, the time and date of when that was, Paul, and it was really interesting because it was, it was published December 4th of 2020. Mm. And I thought to myself, well, what was going on at that time for me that the conversation you had with Rebecca resonated so much with me? And I think it was around honest conversation. And, I, and I'll share this with you as, as to why. I had just had probably the most honest conversation I've ever had in my professional career of almost 20 years uh, a couple weeks before that. And what that honest conversation looked like was, was the following. I had lost my mom suddenly in August of that year. Obviously, we're in the pandemic. People who have lost someone close to them during this time know how challenging that has been because of all the things, but we also can't access our grief and our rituals and our customs because of all the uh, restrictions that that were in place and so August happened um, we we as a family you know had the funeral but you being from a big Irish tribe me being from a big Irish tribe you know how much ritual and custom are paramount in that mm -hmm. access to that grief and I realized I had never really accessed that grief and I got to a place where I knew it was impacting my work it was imp impacting how I interacted with people and I finally got to a place where I had a 
the most honest conversation with my work and my team and my bosses, which said, I cannot move forward until I make room to process and access and grow from my grief. And what that looks like is I'm taking all of December off. Mm. I don't even, I don't think I asked permission. I just stated that I was doing it. But what's really interesting is December 4th was the first day off Mm. that I had. And December 4th was when I listened to the podcast between you and Rebecca Scott. I didn't even remember this until I went back and reflected on this last night. And that's one of those things that's so powerful to me is it took... It took something so transformational and and challenging for me to get to a place where I could have an honest conversation with leaders in a workplace mm-hmm. that has since changed my trajectory, I think, for the better. But there's been some unique challenges. So I thought I would just start with that because that's when like you came across my my radar. Yeah. I, I, thank you for sharing that. And I, I know we've talked off, offline about your mum and, and, and experiences there. And, and I, I empathize. Um, I lost my mum many years ago as, as well, but I also empathize because it's, I feel honesty is such a depleting commodity in the world. And I mean, we've just been talking about Brian Rose. We've just been talking about that as a context setter, but I also, as my, you know, experience over 25 years in, in consulting and leadership development has um attested you know we we go through a process to identify leaders not just leaders but talent non-leader level talent we get them on board we sell them basically a we sell them a yarn to say and you know from Ireland we sell them a lie and then you know there's this whole saying like you know yesterday we were recruiting you today you're part of the firm uh, why, why do we accept that in our vernacular like it's so, it's so insulting to me personally but you know i can you know from other podcasts and the work i'm doing that i can cite all the statistics that build a compelling narrative to show how very costly this is to the the world of well to the world and organizations and leaders but for me it, it comes right back to honesty and and i i mean that because i i've always turned up in an honest way in my life and it and it has been to my detriment sometimes and nobody said being honest was, even though it's right, it's not, it's not easy. And, and I see it in all aspects of, of life, including the world of leadership, that, you know, we, we say one thing and we do another. And we, we seem to be okay with that hypocrisy. We seem to be okay with the contradictory nature um, that being dishonest results in. And, and I, I'm so, I'm so quest driven to bring honesty back to the table in how we have conversations that matter how we how we develop leaders how we recruit leaders how we work together and and i i find that we all tout that we want to have honesty and we put it on our wall mounted charts with values and statements of how we're going to work together and show up with each other but in practice bill it doesn't really translate it it's you know can you imagine what it would be like if if leaders were assessed their promotability was assessed on their levels of honesty self-honesty and honesty with their teams and honesty with their bosses and and if you had honesty as the you know that that is your your currency within your organization i I mean 
people call me a utopic idealist, but I mean, at the end of end of my life, I'm not going to be sitting back and thinking, you know, I'm so glad I wasn't honest. I'm going to be thinking, you know, yes, sometimes honesty can hurt. Sometimes it's really difficult to, and painful to be honest, but it's always the right thing eventually. And so it, 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 it it's a kind of, it's a, a thread that, that goes through my work in, in everything because I, as a leader myself, recruited into, and we know, again, from the timely and costly processes to get me on board as a leader, you know, I, I demonstrated the qualities that would eventually get me fired. So I was honest about who I was, what I was, my style, my approach, and I provided that information. And I, I expected, you know, an honest-based dialogue about who and what I was and how I would lead, and yet, no, it was it was pay the piper and and kind of like get you on, and then oh we didn't really think you would be the leader that you said you would be. Well, why you know my my wise uncle Tony Tony Mr C I call him he's going in in the book as well, but he has this kind of you know he's a great man and he has this kind of simple philosophy, you know say what you mean and mean what you say. And I love it. that phrase. I say that. Uh, often. I mean that's it. You know. It's very simple, right? You don't have to remember any crazy equations. You just say what you mean and you mean what you say. There was a word that you used which just jumped like jumped off the page for me earlier. You said quest. It's a quest for honesty. And I think like when I hear that word quest, it literally it, it like a whole painting uh, you know, unveils in front of me, which is climb to the mountain, fight the dragon, you know, battle the orcs, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. But this is what you're talking about. It's a quest for honesty. And when when we sit down um, and have a conversation with an employer, someone that you're going to get into a relationship with, mm. essentially, and bring your mind and your heart and your your passion to, you approach it from a place of honesty. And it, it you know it seems to be not not a question that shouldn't be able to be asked is it fair that they would be doing the same thing on their side you have a lot of evidence to show i've been through the same experience a lot of people may not know this but i have been fired i haven't talked about it it's the secret it's the open secret right we many of us have that open secret but we choose not to talk about it um and this, this to me is, is what's fascinating about the quest for honesty. There's so many entryways in, there's, but everybody's avoiding it. Well, the, you know, I've just, I'm just writing down uh, words here just to prompt me and, and kind of string, string this all together and, and the themes that are surfacing. And, you know, you, what, a couple of things you said were really interesting there around, you know, it's an open secret. Uh, and and were and the word persecuted brings comes to mind because we we have this um, we have this idea or it's a taboo to talk about if you're fired and because you know I was on a call earlier on with someone and talk of all things we're talking about branding and and, and branding fired leadership and and I, I'm a very big proponent of staying away from the typical colors that you would associate with when you say fired, you think red and orange, you think angry, aggressive, angry colors, right? And, and that, that always gets to the heart of the conversation I have with people, which is, what is your perception of a leader who's fired? And nine times out of 10, 
these things always come up. They deserved it. It must have been something they done did. Uh, they must have done something unethical or immoral. Um, it's always their fault. Um, they just didn't fit in. They were a bad culture fit. They weren't a team player. Like all of these things have surfaced in my work in terms of potential objections as well as you know areas to challenge me and, and evoke conversations. And and what my work is about is reframing why we fire top talent, but also to to, to in the process of that showing that our approach to leadership is broken. And so the fired approach is is a is a stepping stone to help us to actually prepare leaders for the future. But but the, the thing I just wanted to come back to is, is this concept of the, the open secret and persecution. Because I have, as, as you know, as, as the listeners know, as everybody I talk to knows, I've been fired four times from executive leadership roles. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go over the whole in detail, like what I then did, but I, you know, I sat in a room, reflected, thought, of course, I'm the common denominator, which I was. It got me curious about questioning whether we have a system that is broken or not. And so one of the things that I wanted to do was to shift people's understanding and their perception of what it means to be fired. And so I've, I've spent a long time doing that up front and showing that the qualities leaders get fired for are actually the ones that need to be hired for and to be developed according to what the future needs. But still we have this kind of idea of persecution and you know i I, it plays out in my logo that we've developed for fired leadership and and you know without going too down the religious theme here but i think we might have talked about this offline perhaps but i have a symbol of a fish and uh it's it's a teal based fish swimming towards the future so right to in my view towards the right hand side of the page and the other fish around it are in a different color and they're going backwards to going. And so for me, this typifies um, the leadership development in industry today. We, we are using outdated, tried and tested approaches that don't work. In fact, I would argue they never really worked. And fired leadership is amidst that turbulence, that hypocrisy, that dysfunction, that ineffectiveness. And it's going in the opposite direction. Right. And. The fish symbol is actually, I, I, that's how I, why I chose it. But I found out through my research was that when you were a Christian in the 15th, 16th century, being a Christian meant you were persecuted. And as a result of that, when you, let's say you and I were walking along the road um, in that time and we had a conversation and to find out if I was a Christian or you were a Christian, like what, what we would do is we would draw so I would draw the, the top half of the fish on the on the ground. And if you were a Christian, you would draw the bottom half of that. And that would show us that we were both Christians and we were both um, kindred spirits in the sense, because what what we were was persecuted for being Christians. Right. And it became a secret language that that you this was what, what denoted if you were a Christian. Now, I'm not in any way comparing fired leadership to Christianity. So anyone that thinks that, that's not where I'm going. But what I am saying is that the leaders who are fired for the five fired qualities that we've developed into a methodology and framework in today's organizations are persecuted for having those qualities. Let me give you an example. Fresh thinking is the F in fired. 
for me, fresh thinking is the precursor and absolutely has to be in place for you to be able to have innovation, which then results in innovative products and outputs, right? Fresh thinking relies on the ability to have a culture of leadership in place where you openly encourage people, leaders and non-leaders, to dare to think and act differently, right? That's the premise of behind fresh thinking. And there's a whole lot more stuff that goes into this framework and defining what, what these qualities are, what they're not, how they turn up, how to coach for them, blah, blah, blah. Fresh thinking in my own experience as a leader who was fired, I come into an organization and I'm encouraged to provide dissenting perspectives, to challenge the status quo, to do things differently. All right. So again, Honesty back to the conversation about honesty. I come in, I demonstrate the way I am. I get on board. We have a phrase in the UK um, called you do what it says on the tin. All right. So I do what I say on the tin. My wise uncle, Tony, I, I say what I mean. I mean what I say. So I come on board. That's the context for anyone listening. I'm on board. I'm, I'm told that I'm there to disrupt, to, to challenge. So I start to do that in a meaningful courteous, respectful, professional, dignified way, of course, always, never an exception. And the moment I do that, I start stepping on what I call ego-based or what I would later call ego-based leadership landmines, which would expose this belly of the beast and the dysfunction of modern day leadership. Now, the way that translates in real life, Bill, is you're in a meeting room, pre remember the days pre-COVID when we all got in meeting rooms, uh, you're, in, you're in a meeting room, there might be 10 of you, and um, there's a seniority complex that people have, right? So in general, I've never found any organization that goes against this, that the, the, I, the, the boss's idea is always the best idea, even if it's not. And everybody kowtows and nods and shakes their head and silently kind of is supportive, even though they're not supportive because it's not the best idea. But again, they were hired to be disruptive as well. Right. So they're not being gen, uh, genuine and honest with themselves, linking that honesty theme back. Um, and then I come along as a fired leader. Didn't know I had these qualities at the time, but this was my my makeup. And I would say, look, I'm here because you brought me in to disrupt and challenge. I'm also motivated by a higher purpose, a sense of what Frederick Lelou in his work, reinventing organizations, calls evolutionary purpose. So I'm driven by this quest. Right. I'm driven by something bigger than me. I'm not in it for my ego. I'm not in it for the corner office, although I had all those, you know, all the trappings of that. I'm in it because of the idea. And if your idea is my boss is not the right idea or I, or it needs to be refined, then I'm going to challenge that because I'm thinking about the idea and how the idea can help the organization. Now, what that ended up doing in situations where I've been in those um, environments has got me blacklisted, my card marked, right? And led to a situation where, you know, everybody is kind of like then moved away from me because I'm 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 going against the leader groupthink. Remember those fish in the logo going the other way? I'm going against the traditional way. But hold on a minute. You just spent six to nine interviews and, and by the way, the cost to replace a leader that you fire or that leaves, in fact, let me correct myself, no research has been done yet globally on the costs of firing talent. But we know from turnover data voluntarily uh, where leaders lead, leave 
my level of leadership was between 214 and 400% of my base salary to replace me. Now, when you put that in the context of why you were hiring a disruptor, and then you then you get upset when they disrupt, and then you eventually fire them, think about how much money is walking out of your door. Direct costs. I'm not talking about all the other costs associated with it and non-direct costs. So that's a very real example of this kind of, you know, the open secret, the persecution, uh, the way that the that these qualities play out in in a in a leadership setting, and all of these experiences, they got me questioning whether the system actually worked or not, and they got me to go curious and dive deeper, and and it was never, and it is never, and it isn't, and it won't be about me. It's about the platform that my experience helped me uncover. And then I started asking the deeper questions, the, the, bigger, the bigger things that we all know, but we don't have the bravery and courage, and we haven't done the work on ourselves, or maybe we just want to climb the greasy pole of career advancement. Maybe we buy into what, what the system is telling us that we can get. But at the heart of it, Bill, is that we're, we're being disingenuous to ourselves as leaders, as humans, and to the whole industry of leadership development. And I, I couldn't sit back. And personally, I couldn't sit back and see that hypocrisy anymore, any longer. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting when you when you talk about it, it just brings up so much for me in my own my own journey, because I, I remember I remember when I was brought on board to an organization for all those reasons, which really interesting in my case, and we may have talked about this before, the same things I was demonstrating in a sort of contractor consulting capacity that I was leading literally on a Friday. Um, that organization said, we love what you do. We, we've benefited from it so much. We want more of it and we want more of your time, which led to an offer to say, come work for us full time and continue doing what you're doing and do more of it, right? Like, we'll give you more resources. We'll give you more access. This is what we need. And imagine on that Monday, <laughs> you know, you take that weekend, you're all excited. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, your, your day shouldn't change. You know, your meetings shouldn't change. Well, just like you described, the meeting started falling off. People stopped coming to the meetings. And I remember thinking to myself, it's got to be me. There must have been something I've done. And I remember at one point going to lunch quite naively with someone and saying, I'm struggling with this. Help me figure this out. And they looked at me and said, you really thought you were going to change things around here? You've got to be here for at least 27 years before you can change things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you can imagine the look on my face at that lunch. <laughs> yeah. That is just ridiculous. 27 years. I mean, like, you know, I, I could throw out all the stats that what you've just said there is, is a toxic culture. All right. And, and, you know, in your country, I'm in Canada at the moment, you're obviously in the US at this point, in your country alone in the last five years, toxic culture has cost the economy $223 billion. Just think about that for a moment, right? That, that is the effect of people pushing, you know, pu pu pushing their heels in, digging their heels in, the ego, the ego-based approach to leadership, the the, oh, that will never work, by the way. We've tried that so many times before. You know, 
I, I've had numerous um, clients that ironically brought me in for changing their environment to help um, disrupt their culture, to, to transform them. And, you know, I've, I've had I put some of these anecdotal stories in my book as well as the case studies and, and research that I've found. But, you know, I would have people coming up to my desk as the new consultant saying, you know, got to pick your battles, Paul. You know, this leader doesn't talk to this leader and they're they're annoyed at this leader because of this reason. And all the while I'm looking at the competency frameworks on the wall and the nice one one page laminate menus of value statements and guiding principles. And, and this is how we work. And, you know, and, and, and the complete contradiction and incongruence between that data point and the data point of what it's like in the real organization. And I just, again, I've seen so many examples, like you just said there, like you can't change this system unless you're here for 27 years. That Let's think about that in context of, of the way that our organizations are structured now, the way that our talent flows in and out of organizations. Millennial leaders and those that are coming after them are probably going to stay in your your organization for between one and three years. Right? In fact, I know HBR did some research a few years ago on high um, high potentials, and they found that you know one um, one in four high potentials plans to leave your organization within the first twelve months. So think about that. You put all that money and investment into a hypo, as we call them, and at the first sign of when their loyalty needs to be tested or their self-serving interest or whatever it is come up in, for them, they'll leave your organization. And by the way, that was these, these studies were before COVID. So what, yeah, a lot of this, a lot of this data is pre COVID. Yeah. Absolutely right. So what we've got now is quite, and I'll go out on record and say this is we've got a lot of people surfing the wave of, of perceived stability in their organizations because of COVID. Once the economy starts to pick up again, what do you think these people are going to do? They're going to leave. They're going to, and and so so the, that set that sets the, the backdrop, the the macro level picture. But to your point, like of the twenty seven years, it's we need to realize that that our talent, leaders and non leaders, are going to stay in your organization for a finite amount of time, and unless their purpose aligns to your. Um, yours as an individual they're more likely to leave and and i don't know if we talked about this but i've said it a few times in other sessions that i think ey did some research that found of the thousands of people they surveyed 92 percent of leaders would leave the organization if their individual purpose did not align with the organizations and then for me the absolute kicker of that is of those organizations that had aligned individual and organizational purpose 42 percent um they were they were they were likely to outperform their competitors by up to 42 percent so as i said before with others it doesn't just make moral and ethical and human sense it makes business sense so for the ceo vp of hr whoever's listening to this thinking we're just having a, a nice conversation about trugging hugging trees think again this is a this is a real pandemic and this is affecting your organization right now and will continue to in the way that you identify, recruit, engage, and develop your talent. So, yeah, it also makes me think a little bit of, and I can give a specific story and example. Um, you know, protecting the names of the innocent, so to speak. But one of the um, 
projects I was involved in, I want to say maybe three to four years ago, was a, a large healthcare organization asked me to come in and essentially, essentially spend about you know, four to six weeks interviewing all of their top performers. This is leadership and sort of middle management all around this kind of vision of a customer engagement. How do we get better at engaging our customers, be it patients, be it providers, be it so forth and so on in that whole ecosystem? And what you're talking about is exactly what the, these interviews named. We, we need somebody who you know, can be innovative, fresh thinking, try these things. It's all the things you're talking about. And so I, I put all this, pulled all this together. They had me look at other industries to see what you know, financial services is doing, what um, retail is doing, a couple of these others. And it was clear sort of the persona that they needed, they wanted to hire. The next question they asked was, help us put together a job description for this, a posting, if you will. What's on the tin, as you described, right? Which I did, I wrote for them. We are about to post it. And the executive leadership came back and said, we cannot post this. And I thought to myself, why not? And they said, because we're not prepared to let this person succeed the way we want them to succeed. Now, was that the right decision to not post it? Probably yes, because to your point, they would have brought on a, a person, they would have sunk a lot of money into them, they would have invested in them, and that person probably would have been very frustrated by all the things you're talking about, which is the ego-based leadership landmines, the, the politics, the armchair refereeing that, that, that was going to happen in this organization. I share that story because a lot of work went into that research. They knew the candidate they needed to be successful for their transformation going forward. Somebody had the bravery to say, we're not ready. And they stopped, they stopped the wreck. That's one story of one organization. I think you can multiply that times many. The difference is they don't stop the wreck. They hire the person. Your experience, my experience, others who are listening happens. We become fired leaders. Mm. And, and, and one of the things going through my mind when you were saying that, Bill, was, is when they said they weren't ready, did they, were they not ready as individuals or did their organizational culture preclude them from being able to have that conversation because if you know if the culture isn't ready at systemic level you've got an institutionalized um an archaic approach to to the way you you lead and 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 you know and and quite frankly you're you're kind of either quietly supportive of or you're you're proactively condoning the dysfunction and so you know i'm my curiosity would always take me down the path of you know, which is it? Is it the individual? Is it the culture? And and I'm a, many have said to me, I'm perhaps utopic and idealistic, but I actually believe that, that we can change individually one at a time, like the Trojan horse concept. You know, we can actually, if we can understand what the challenges and the pain points are, we can use them to reframe this conversation. And the only thing, and again, I write about it in my book, but the only thing we need to do and it doesn't, you know, wait a minute, it doesn't cost anything. It's just being open to the blinders that we have on and, and to actually, to, you know, to quote Gandhi and others, you know, be the change we want to see, right? And to have the courage and the bravery to step into our voice, knowing that we're part of a broken system. But here's the irony. 
the more of us that step into that broken system to to reframe it, the less it becomes broken. And 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 you know, I'm I'm a clear proponent of the fact that we can choose to shift the narrative in our organizations if if we're brave enough, which comes back to the point we talked about at the beginning, which is what do you your your level of self-awareness as a person, which to me drives your purpose. What do you stand for? And if you don't know what you stand for, or you don't have the courage to speak your truth, then how can you ever make effective change? Right. And that's I think it's as you as you asked that question, it was definitely in that instance, it was the culture that prevented right. it. You were you were exactly right. There was one or two people that saw the possibility and kicked this off, but the culture prevented it from ever happening. Now, what's really interesting is if I look back, that one or two individual are no longer at that organization. Right. <laughs> Not surprising, yeah. right? Doesn't, doesn't surprise um, me. And, and I, think, I think even in my own case of you know, being, being a fired leader, I remember that time period. And one of the things I would, I would love to kind of you know, spend some time on here is that feeling afterwards. Right? You, you named this a little bit before, which is that sense of it must be me. I mean, I had been doing, I had been leading organizations and people and teams through change for years and years and years. And then I get to this place that, as you've so described, wants it, but then doesn't really want it. I get let go. And all of a sudden I started questioning, maybe everything I know is, is, is not, not right. Maybe all these things that I thought I was good at, I'm not good at. And and I got to do something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily get to do. I took three months off between that period of being let go and starting something new. And I remember how lonely that experience was, but it goes to what you're saying, which is the self-awareness. I spent time with me. I spent time with the demons. I spent time in the shadow work. And, and I was able to counter every one of those thoughts because I had a conversation with me and said, hang on a second, is that really true? What, like, let's think about who's telling you you have to be somewhere 27 years before you can inspire change. That's ridiculous. It turned out in reflection, I realized those were the people that were out of touch. I wasn't out of touch. I was actually in tune the entire Mm -hmm. time. And that made me a pariah, to your point. That made me the fish going the other way. But you have to do that work. And, I, and I'm, <clears throat> I would love for you to maybe elaborate on what that's been like for you, frankly, over the, over the, over the, the times that that's experienced. And I imagine you probably build up different muscles to the point where now you're saying, this is why I can take on the, the things that I know are broken and call them out with honesty, call them out with clarity, and have a discussion like this today. Mm. Yeah, there's so much in there. There's so much in there. Where do I start? I mean, I'll, you know, those who know me know that I'm very transparent, that I'm congruent with my my words and my my values, my actions. And, and, and those that have questioned that, I think themselves have their own areas to consider and, and perhaps address. And, and so I can only speak for myself in this process in terms of how I'm about to answer this question, because I think this also could be a platform for another kind of topic around um, um, trollers and haters and, and all this kind of stuff. Because I, I, so so okay, four times, five, four times. Now, um, for those that don't know me, I'm obviously from the UK, but I'm 
I live in Canada and I was at a consulting firm that I was basically sponsored to come to work with. So I, my, my, at that time, my immigration status was based on my ability to work for that company. So basically when I, um, and on the run up, so, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to go into the, well, yeah, let's So the detail of actually being fired, right? So in this particular case, I, I, and let me just clarify for, for anyone listening to this this piece that's saying, oh, he deserved it, you know, blah, blah. Right. What I advocate when I'm in my work is about fired for the qualities that you demonstrate that you're hired for. So that doesn't mean ethical or moral breaches or putting your hand in the cookie jar or stealing one too many paper clips. Right. It doesn't mean mean any of that. So in my case, in all the cases that I was eventually fired from, I was a top producer top revenue producer, liked by uh, a lot of colleagues, liked by clients, and a real ambassador for the brands that I helped to build from a selfless, purpose-driven perspective. So setting the context like that, basically, when you step on the toes of, of ego-based leaders and you step on these landmines and you expose the hypocrisy, as I said earlier, your card gets marked. And so that happened to me in this particular case that uh, the first time it happened and essentially a few you know with some shuffling of the deck chairs um there were some different people in power you know in 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 control and those individuals had i had stepped on the landmines from them individuals so it was a personality thing and it was a it was clearly because of political reasons and so you know the usual thing that i would i would later learn um you know and in a calendar invite goes into your your outlook it was unexpected you don't know why what the purpose of the meeting is all of a sudden you've you, you're met by the the person and the most senior person in the organization and then someone in hr and then you're taken to a room and you 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 are basically listening to a script that is written out beforehand which allows for no interaction no discussion no no uh, questioning and and is all one-sided which ultimately then leads to you as a person making a decision which you either litigate against or you you most of us just move on massage our resumes and and then say oh we went traveling on a gap year right the open secret because we don't like to talk about it it's a taboo subject we keep it under the stairs so this all happened to me, and I, I quite literally went into a dark room and started reflecting, and I, as I would later do with every experience that I was fired uh, from. And, you know, I, I kind of started quite literally questioning, you know, I am the common denominator, aren't I? And it is me. And then I, then I got curious, what about if it is the system that let me down? What you know, and all the demons come up, of course. You know, no, you were fired because you're you just annoyed people, or you're not really that good anyway, or you know, all of the demons they they all come up, and I just let them do their thing. You know, and I'm a I'm a a big proponent of Pema Chodron's work and um, Buddhism, and you know, I'm quite spiritual in that context. And 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 the key for me was to not attach to what was coming up. I just let it surface and and just let it kind of arise and linger and and not attached to it enables not attaching to it enables you to not not hold on to it but take the learnings that you need 
And so in my case, with that very first experience, that's what I did. And I started to, to kind of look for commonalities um, in, in my subsequent firings, why I would have been fired. Because I, each case, I would say, okay, did I, how did I turn up in this way? Or did I do this? Or, did, you know, what was, I, what was I not going to compromise on? Uh, what, what, where were my values in misalignment with the organizations or those that, that were leading me? Um, and, and for those like cutting straight towards the, the end of the movie, as it were, eventually what would be the precursor for me starting fired leadership was when I did this exercise multiple times with all of the experiences that I was fired from. And I started to look at incidents where I was in a meeting and I spoke up. I, I made no apology for not worrying about the person's ego when we were looking at helping a client with a solution that was right for the client. I, I, didn't, I didn't go to these kind of um, smoke and mirror kind of social functions and laugh at the most senior person in the room's crap jokes when everybody else did, right? Um, I didn't play the game when at the end of the year performance evaluation discussions, when it was all like Game of Thrones in the middle of the arena, I, I didn't skirt over Joe Bloggs' um, lackluster performance just because Joe Bloggs made the partners laugh at a social function, so therefore Joe Bloggs was promoted. I would say, where's the evidence? And so, so I, I, I pieced all these things together, you know, and what came up for me, Bill, was, was a bunch of different themes. I, I always thought and acted differently. I challenged. Um, I was really curious. I held people and myself to account. Um, I was always real. I always turned up as myself. Um, I cut through the crap. I didn't play the political game. I said what I meant, and I meant what I said. And so quite literally, and I put this in, in my book as well, I, I use those examples to, again, remove my ego, remove any, any sense of emotion, and start to think what they meant, as in words. And then I eventually found a bunch of synonyms for these different words, these different themes um, that would become fired. Fresh thinking, inquisitive nature, real and accountable, expressive and challenging and direct and transparent. That became the basis of my methodology and framework. And so, you know, I went from feeling quite um, lonely, dejected, must be all me, all the demons coming out. Maybe I'll massage my resume and, and forget about it to there's something wrong here. And I wondered if it was me. I wondered if it was something else. And I, I started to dig deeper. Right. And, that, and that's that's where I, when, when you really look in the mirror and you really do the work, because this is the thing. So many of us tell ourselves and everyone else that we've done the work. But until you can sit naked in front of a mirror for six hours and watch everything else go away from you and you just focus on yourself and see what comes up. And you do so from a place of intrigue, delight, and this mysticism, then you can't tell me you've done the work. And so I, I did that work. And I didn't know what I was going to do with all this. Right? I, I, I was this pariah who suddenly started to question whether we had a system that didn't work, acknowledging that my role in it also perhaps didn't necessarily um, make things go smoothly. And why was that? Because I was a fired leader. And then I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? 
and that's when I decided I, I really had to have the conversation and I really wanted to take this out. So along my path, I've had people step away from me. I've had romantic partners. I've had friends. I've had some people in my family. I've had professional people say to me things like, why do you upset the apple cart? Why can't you just, it's fine. Why don't you just go along with it? You know, you know, just accept the way it is it, that, that what you're talking about is just you're bitter and twisted and jaded as a fired leader. You know, all the while I've been chuckling to that because I know what I've been doing and what I've been building. And that is basically using the platform of my experience to highlight how other leaders are fired for, for similar reasons, which then in turn starts questioning the system, which then in turn starts questioning are we preparing our leaders in the right way for tomorrow? And what are we going to do about it, Bill? And, and, you know, how many of us, like Brené Brown quotes, you know, we can we can throw peanuts from the, the cheap seats, right? But unless or until you've stepped in my shoes, man, you can't actually tell me what it's like. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to take all of that, put it into something where it's not my story, it's actually a bigger picture. And, and the conversation levers that underpin my work are, you know, we have increasing levels of hypocrisy and toxicity in our organizations. Um, we, we have a broken system for identification, recruitment, engagement of our talent. We have increasing turnover. The competency model to develop leaders, RIP, it's gone, it's dead. And why isn't anybody talking about this? So that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. You say you, it's not your story solely. You're right. It's your story. It's my story. It's people who are listening story. This is what's so powerful about you putting voice to this because, I mean, one of the, one of the things I, I remembered was the statistic you shared on a previous, a previous interview. I think it was $400 billion a year is spent on leadership development, programming, all that goes with that. And if I'm if I'm correct in this, and you'll keep me honest, only 14% of those people who've paid that $400 billion a year have said it was effective. My question to you is this, is that number so low because people are not willing to do the work that you just cited? That's a good, good question. Um, it's 366 billion. Um, and that- Round it up. <laughs> Well, by this time next year, it probably will be. Uh, right. With COVID? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that, that number is increasing every year um, because of the yeah. different types of modalities of learning. And, and that number of um, the 14%, that's decreasing. So we've got, we've got an increasing investment and a decreasing ROI. And so leaving that with people to just percolate on, thinking, think about that, right? I mean, I go in and talk about uh, this with leaders, leadership teams, and I, and I ask, I ask HR VPs and leadership development VPs, how do you know if you're getting an ROI on your investment in learning and development? How do you know? Does it behave? Does it result in sustainable behavior change? Does it increase and enhance skill sets to actually do someone's job better? How do you know? How are you tracking that? And I've I've fallen foul a few times because very few of us are, very few. But um, to your point, like. Your question is that because people haven't done the inner work. Um, you know, I think the future of leadership development is actually 
it, it's contingent on us being able to do the work, the inner work. I, I think the whole approach to leadership development, in fact, any learning and development, used to be this kind of compliance tick box driven approach with very little follow up. I mean, I, I can remember I've designed, developed and delivered lots of management and leadership development programs for frontline, C-suite, executive boards, whatever it is. And none of them have really stuck. None of them have really been effective. And so for me, I have to ask myself why. And, and it comes back to if you are not doing the work on yourself, the, then you, you can only fake it for so long, Bill. You know, and, and in terms of the learning and development you receive, like we, we know that, um, that the, way that, we, the way that learning and development is unfolding will change as well. So we're looking for people that, that can mentor us and coach us. And so gone are the days of being in a classroom doing a you know, prescriptive approach to learning. The value of the coaching and the mentoring is that they can help hold you honest and be accountable for who you are. And they can help you do the work on yourself at the same time as learning what you need to learn around the, the, the learning and development. So I, I, I don't see any other way, actually. Um, I think if you look at this, this more holistically, you know, as much as COVID has been a tragedy for us and continues to be, it's also been an accelerator. You know, I talk about this a couple of times with people, you know, our, our, the scale of our technological innovation, the, 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 the further onset of climactic collapse, um, the human capital fragmentation that's just ever increasing, like the way that we're structuring our organizations, this hybrid work model concept, the, the, the fact that we're now bringing into the, the conversation with leaders, we've got to be more authentic, empathic, um, transparent, great stuff. My question, why did it take COVID? This is another conversation. But all of these, these things, to use one of your lovely terms, the trifecta approach, you know, technology, climate, human capital, all of these things converging upon us. And the one constant in our ability to handle these things, preempt them, move through the tide that comes of disruption, is our ability to look inward and be honest with ourselves and know what we stand for. And can you imagine that? Like if we collectively have a consciousness that we can elevate. I, can, I mean, that that's powerful. That's boundless. I mean, that's it, as you described it. You know, you talked about the the Pema Chandran work that you that you've read and you keep close. I, I honestly feel very similar. For me, the the being fired actually opened up an entire cavern of possibilities for me, which which started with getting into meditation and mindfulness mm. and this spirituality. You know, I, I, I learned when I was a young boy about the, um, the, the trait of being a challenger and expressive and everything like that and direct. And, you know, it's interesting. We, we're talking about this subject and your internet goes down, whether it's a spiritual sign, you know, at 11 years old, I, I remember being, I was at a Catholic school. It was mandatory to, to do uh, religion. And, um, I asked the teacher, hey, when are we going to learn about other religions uh, other than Catholicism? And I was told, you know, you never need to know any religion other than Catholicism. 
and I, I kind of respectfully disagreed with a, you know, like a young squeaky voice, uh, 11 year old. And I was sent to the headmaster's office upon, I was promptly asked to repeat what I just said to the teacher. And I did, and I got, you know, I got the wrath of the Catholic uh, headmaster at that point. But the point is, it's like when you try and challenge the way things have always been done and you, and you step on uncomfortable things, then you can look at the things that challenge you and start getting in your way as impediments, or you can look at them as ways for us to unearth the actual truth. And so I think that's where, I think that's a great segue for you to continue along the path. (laughs) Of my story. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see if our better angels don't interrupt us this time. But um, I mean, essentially what I was saying was, was, was this aspect of after being fired and having the space and time to reflect that, you know, I stumbled upon, as you've described, kind of different parts of spirituality that. I now identify myself as a castaway Catholic. What I was saying before we got cut off was, you know, there's a term cafeteria Catholic that people have used a lot uh, growing up. And I never really under, uh, identified with that because I always felt like, hang on a second, a cafeteria Catholic implies I'm actually allowed to be in the line, implies I'm actually allowed to go pick what I want and have it on my on my my plate to have, you know, essentially this meal. Um, that's not my experience. My experience, because... I identify as a gay man was I was a castaway. Mm. I, there, I was, there was no cafeteria. There was no line. It was, you're not even here. But I think to your other point around asking questions, right? When are we going to learn about other religions? Um, when are we going to ask the honest questions about uh, what is, what is right versus uh, you know, what is inclusive? And I think it's the same, it stems from the same place. And that's why I found really interesting about my experience coming off of, the you know being fired that I stumbled into elements of Buddhism that I stumbled into things that were much more expansive and allowed me to ask the questions without the sense of judgment you know I can mm. I can see it I don't have to I don't have to hold it and what it allowed me to do was actually circle back and understand and see and acknowledge that all my strengths were my strengths that all those same things that you've been talking about were the things that on a Friday, when I was a consultant, made me extremely successful. Mm. As soon as I got inside that organization, they made me extremely threatening. And uh, and I, I developed, as you described, I had haters and I had trolls. And I had people that I wish were more you know, engaging and critical, but they weren't. They were the ones that were throwing the peanuts from the cheap seats. Um, which kind of brings me to this point in the conversation that I'd love to ask you this question. How are you doing what you're doing, poking the bear? <laughs> and you must be getting a lot of critics, trolls, maybe haters. Um, there's a lot of opinionated minds out there. But I think when, when you point to a universal like you're talking about and you've got the data to back it up and you've got the intuition to back even that up, some would see that as a threat. Mm. How, how is that? How is that experience going for you? Yeah, it's um, everything is a learning experience, and and I I I'll be the first to admit that that I'm not perfect in any sense, and sometimes my my response um, is is to want to lash out actually, 
is, is to want from a place of ego to respond in a knee-jerk reaction, which isn't productive and isn't healthy to myself, to the others, and, and to, to the message that we're, we're developing and cascading around fire leadership. Uh, you know, and it's almost like every, every troller or hater has been sent to test me individually but I know I've done the work and continue to do the work because it never stops, right? And so, one of the thing that really, one of the things that really kind of bothers me personally, and I, I'm, I'm working this through, is when people that think they've done the work tell me I haven't done the work, and then when they challenge me, without any substantive process to challenge me, other than it's just unproven. This thing you're doing just hasn't got any data about it yet that it works. Well you know, that's the point of bringing out untried and tested approaches that don't have any social proof yet. Because if we wait for something to be validated in a, in a lab with thousands of hours of research and analysis, then it contradicts the idea of it being called innovative. And so, you know, if we, if we still thought that, we'd still, if we took that approach, we'd still think the world was flat, you know, and it's kind of, Daring to be different means we have to go up against some of these established um, structures and viewpoints that that say they want dissent, but when it comes to question them and what they do and, and their sense of identity, they change their tune. Now, all of these people in their ways are very nice, and I'm sure they 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 believe in their narrative. What I'm doing is I'm transcending my self to say. What about the actual things I'm talking about? Take me, take you, take everybody's identity out of it. The substance of the conversation revolves around the topics. So, you know, I've had, I've had surprisingly, um, the the trollers. The, the word hate is a little bit strong for me. I wouldn't say haters. Um, I, I think skeptics. Um, I think you know, and and we can. We can kind of dress this up in many different ways. You know, someone that, that provides negative comment or challenges in an aggressive way, but does so in a way that then manipulates the words that I use rather than creates the condition for meaningful purpose forward driven dialogue. That says something about them to me. That doesn't say something about me. And the fact, but the, the fact that if I respond to it in a knee jerk way, that says something about the work I've got to do still on myself. And I always reflect on that and I see it after the fact. And, you know, I would say like, you know, reading the Pema Chodrons and other kind of texts in, in the world that we do to become more self-aware and self-enlightened. And part of that work is, is the forgiveness of other people, is the forgiveness of others who they may not be aware of what they're doing because they're in the vortex Right. We all do it. We're all part of it. We're all susceptible. And and it and it it's for me, it's less about trying to prove that I'm right. And it's now about and it's always really, really been about this is that let's level the playing field. Let's have a discussion where we leave our egos out of it. We leave, our, you know, our arrogance or the, the popular one at the moment is hubris, which I think is quite an arrogant statement anyway to say that. But, you know, this is about the, the ideas and, and constructive challenge for me is about building on ideas rather than saying that will never work. But I then point back and say, 
the way we've done it hasn't worked. But we're still propagating and profiting um, renowned, esteemed authors and, and schools and universities approaches that nobody wants to talk about the fact that they don't work either. And so I, it's something that's very, I'm very sensitive to, and, and I, I put that out there, and I know that that will obviously get people that want to, to capitalize on that and see if they can goad me a little bit more. Great, bring it on. But what we're really trying to do here is shift the narrative to change the way that people see a topic that, that is taboo. And of course, it's going to attract critics. And I welcome that. And I, I would love to have the dialogue where, you know, we can we can use such constructive conversation to come out with a better product at the end of the day. Um, so so for me, you know, how I how I'm learning to handle it is, you know, understanding them, trying to understand where they're, they're at, forgiving them, quite frankly, because because, you know, anger only hurts the vessel that it's in. It's only corrosive to that. You know, I also stand very clear on my my sentiments about certain things that I'm doing. And I, you know, I've had people on this journey, for instance, who, as I mentioned earlier, have said, don't upset the apple cart. You know, it's working. But I've also had people misunderstand what we're doing. And they've they've assumed that as a, a bitter, twisted, jaded as a leader who's been fired and want to get my own back at the establishment, right? It's to the extent that they've said some things like, um, you know, here's here's the here's who's hired Paul, here's who's fired Paul, and here's the book on it all. It's nothing to do with that. I don't I don't want to sit on Oprah's couch, and I don't want to 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 kind of be that kind of guru because this this kind of phraseology is something that makes me feel like I have spiders crawling across my body when when we call people gurus like nobody in my opinion is justified as being called a guru we are all equal in our thoughts and I believe in creating those conditions for everyone to have those conversations um, equal as on equal footing so you know when when people call me a guru or thought leader yes I'm trying to influence a conversation and move down a pathway and be known for that but i actually don't really want myself to be the, the focal point here it's not about me it's about something bigger and and those that are still trapped in the matrix through their own denial through their own work that they need to still do on themselves or through whatever mean for whatever mechanism one day they may see they may want once they open up to the message they may actually see the value and and stop squabbling about well you know this contradicts this academic model that was you know valid 50 years ago well yeah what's the key there 50 years ago yeah it does (laughs) like you know yeah and it does you're right and it does or you know this doesn't have a uh, a big name behind it who's advocating this who hasn't worked in harvard for 25 years you're right yeah you're right it doesn't it doesn't right great next next but are we saying that the subject itself warrants an, uh, an open honest conversation like people can shoot the messenger in fact that's the first chapter title of my book don't shoot the messenger but guess mm-hmm. what if you want to shoot me shoot me not no not literally physically not literally. <laughs> but you know you can try that too but the point is it's you know just because i bring unwelcome news doesn't mean the carrier of that information 
is unwelcoming, right? Mm. And, and, and actually, there are lots of people that are coming out of the woodwork, Bill, who are nodding and saying, and I don't mean those empty nods around the boardroom table that, you know, say, yeah, I'm accountable for this and then leave the room and don't do anything. I mean, they're nodding and saying, it's a quiet revolution happening. We right. see you, we hear you, right? And we, and we want to do something about this. And it's blindingly obvious. The, the numbers, the stats, the research speak for themselves. All I've done is put the dots together and all I'm doing is having a conversation about something that no one wants to talk about. Right. Well, the other thing I think about the, when you talk about the, you know, critics to me is a different word. Um, I, I think it's a more generous word than, 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 but there's different behaviors. And I know we've, we've talked about this, the difference between a critique and criticism yeah. and a troller and, a, you know, and, and I think one of the things I'm all, I'm oftentimes reminding people, and it may be a little harsh for their taste, but I, I tell them oftentimes, you don't get to be an editor until you've been an author. And what I mean by that is I'm tired of having people come in after I've put some stuff down and say, no, I, I, I don't like this and I don't like this and I don't like this and I don't like this. Mm. I'll hand them a pen and say, start writing. Yeah. But it's really interesting to me, Paul, where people drop off at that point. Yeah. Because they have nothing to build on. Well, and also because they, they want to defend their own fiefdom. And so for me, you know, I, I don't want to use this segment of our conversation to go down a path of, you know, he said, she said kind of things with, with critics. All the critics out there know who they are. But the, the point I'm making is let's let's have a conversation in a, a way that is respectful, professional, courteous and advances the agenda, advances it, goes for And and I said earlier, you know, you know, those that have not been in the you know, not been in my shoes can't offer me any comments, criticism or anything because they don't know what it's like. I mean. People think, you know, when we look at the Jim Collins of the world, the Brené Browns, the Tony Robbins, all these other people, that writing books is easy. It's not. It's bloody hard work to come out with a new idea that others are going to shoot down because it goes against convention, which we know the conventional way doesn't work, and, and have the courage to step into their voice and say, I know I'm going to be criticized. I know people are going to come and, and say and try and invalidate the work. But it doesn't mean that that the work isn't right. It doesn't mean that we're not going down the right path. And, and I think if we could all see the bigger picture and see the mosaic to see how it all fits together, we'd actually find that, that a lot of the critics that we have, that I have and Fire Leadership has, could be assets, could work complementarily together, if that's even a word. Um, you know, and, and that's what saddens me about the human condition, you know, that, that we're all out for ourselves yet scarcity mindset you're right bill like where some of us say that we're not and we're and we want to do this and further this industry and um, agenda together at the end of the day we're not we, we we just want to promote this product this product this name this this latest buzzword of a of a term you know how many of us out there actually want to move the agenda forward like for instance someone criticized me recently and again, not going down that path, but, but I can hear their criticism now that I'm even saying this um, to even out this conversation. But kind of someone criticized me and said, I'm listening to the wrong people. I'm listening to people that are just supporting fired leadership and just telling me things I want to hear. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. 
what I'm doing is welcoming dissenting perspectives. Otherwise, that would make me a hypocrite. And, and, and sometimes, yes, I've been a hypocrite. Sometimes as a human, I have not practiced what I preached. But what, me, mean, what for me pushes me forward is the fact that I strive to be better. I strive to be more wholesome. And again, you know, am I sitting here like a Brian Rose, as we talked about earlier, you know, saying I've done all this work and I am this kind of new guru? No, I'm fallible. And, and I would say, you know, rather, I'm not religious, as you know, but, you know, how many people criticize people like Jesus for, for what he brought out into the world? Again, no reference to saying what I'm doing is related to religion or as on that level. But, but people criticize the man, right, rather than embrace the ideas. What about if we were, were in a world where we, we, we constructively challenged and criticized and built on the ideas and didn't address the, the personality that brought those ideas to the fore? Um, that's a debate and a discussion I want, I want to be part of. And I full up, full put my hands up in the air and say, has fired leadership been around for 20 years? Yes, but has it got data and evidence to substantiate that it completely works at this point? No. And I'm not going to hide that fact. You know, I'm going to say to you, here's my rationale. Here's the narrative. Here's the business case. Here's what we're doing. Do you think that there's a problem in the way that we currently do leadership and leadership development? Yes or no? If 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 it's yes, let's talk about potential ways to to support with fire leadership. If it's no, carry on taking the blue pill. You know, it's a simple choice, and it comes down to choice. Yeah, well, and I think the power in it, in what you just described there is essentially you create community, right? And, and this is something that I, I imagine you're thinking about, and would love for you to elaborate on, which is. There are people who, who, as we described, your story is my story. My story is their story. Our story is collectively the story of a lot of people. And there's choice in it. Carry on taking the blue pill if you want. That's fine. But if you're tired of this, you're tired of having to show up and play these games and move between organizations and expect different results, there's a community yeah. of, of, of like-minded people that, frankly, are some of the top talent in these organizations, as you've described, right? 42% increased productivity if you let these people be themselves, if you don't throttle them, if you don't force them into something, they will generate a tremendous amount of return on investment for you. And so this community is out there. I think you're connecting them, right? Mm -hmm. It's a mosaic. It's a beautiful mosaic. And the great thing is nobody gets to stand in the middle of it and say, all of this is mine. You're not standing in the middle and saying, all of this is mine. And I think because you're doing that, it's causing some people to react the way they are. Well, yeah, it's bringing out a lot of people's insecurities that they have, that they pretend they don't have. It's getting people say that, you know, my, my ideas around fire leadership aren't valid. It's getting all of that stuff. But you're right. What we're trying to do here is build a, an ecosystem. And, and, and this, this strikes to the heart of the work that I'm doing which is I don't really want my name on the tin, right? I don't want my name above the door, right? And that is, a, that is really difficult for people to understand as well, right? And, yeah. and, and I mean it in Because that used to be the measure of success. That's the, old, that's the system that you're talking about, which is that promulgates what we're talking about. Yeah, and, and it, you know, when we talk about open sourcing ideas, 
what we're doing at Fire Leadership is exactly that. So, you know, we've talked about my, my book offline as well. And, and, you know, I don't know if listeners hearing this will, will nod their head and agree with me here, but this is what I've found through reading thousands of leadership and culture books. Every book is structured into section one, section two, and section three. Section one, here's the problem. Section two, here's what I think is the solution. And here's a little bit of the drug that I'm going to give you to get hooked in my solution. Section three, here's three or five, maybe 10 things that you can do now to address um, and take this into your organization. But if you want any more, you have to come to my program, my website, you know, my, all my products and services, which is great. Let me, let me just clarify right now, Bill. I'm a, I'm a capitalist with conscience, right? So I completely understand we've all got to earn a crust. We've got to put food on the table, myself included. No, no problem with that. But we live in a world, unfortunately, where we have the, the book publishing industry follows that trajectory. The way we create websites follows that trajectory, the call to action. I take you onto my website and I'm manipulatively, consciously or unconsciously funneling you through so that you contact me. Well, let's, let's not play a game here. That's exactly what happens, right? I don't necessarily want to do that. Of course, I want to speak and we've got learning programs, coaching programs. That's great. But I, my, my genuine aim is to outsource the future of leadership development. And I do take the approach in section three of my book where I give away, and I've said this a few times, I give away about $3 million of consulting work because I've been the guy that's developed the leadership programs, gone in to help change the culture, to get everybody on board, to start this path of transformation. I'm completely fed up of the way that the traditional approach works. It doesn't work. It just puts money in the pockets of a lot of behemoth um, organizations, um, publishers, and you know, it, it, it means that people that have cornered a market can continue to corner that market. I don't think that that's moral. I don't think that's fair. Again, we all have to earn a living. We all have to put food on the table. But why don't we put this in the hands of the people that can do something about it? And that's what I'm doing. And, and my ecosystem we're building with Fire Leadership, we want about a million people to be aware of Fire Leadership. And that means we need to feed that community. And, and so part of the book is to give away this material because I want people to, to start trying this concept out in their organizations. And does it work? Does it not? Let, let us know. And, and that ecosystem has to, has to have nourishment. And for me, if I hoard all my IP, my assets and stuff like that, that's not, that's not in keeping with who I am as a person. Now, I know many people out there that that is in keeping with who they are. They want, they want to protect their assets because it comes back to what you said earlier, Bill, scarcity mindset. <laughs> so that's my rant. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes me think so much of, you know, the lessons of even like in biodiversity, right? When, when ecosystems thrive, they thrive because of the altruism that is inherent in that ecosystem, Yeah. right? Um, if you think about a tr one tree that's dying next to another tree, you know, there's, there's science that shows this now. It's pretty amazing. The one tree literally reroutes re its resources over to the other tree because it's the benefit of the entire ecosystem. We see animals do it all the time. 
I think sometimes we have to go back to those those natural uh, beginnings and understand um, we have that capacity within us. If we stop and say we don't have to go with the script, like I I choose to unsubscribe from the narrative. Yeah. And when you do that, there's a lot of room. It's a little bit scary, but there's a lot of room for, as you're describing, building ideas, building upon ideas, new new innovations and solutions. Um, and and you're upsetting the apple cart. Well, let, and let, but let's not let's not forget the original, some of the original points we started talking about, which is leaders are hired for the qualities to disrupt and upset the apple cart. In today's organizations, when they do that, they are then ousted, treated as pariahs, not part of the, the group think because they think differently. And yet the irony and the hypocrisy is just is so evident to me. We, we hire them for those qualities. Now, some may say, you know, well, you just annoyed someone. You're just a bad culture fit. You know, that's great. That's all valid for your frame of reference, your narrative. But we can't avoid the data and we can't avoid the growing number of research studies out there that, that are showing disengagement, toxicity, politics, dysfunction are ever increasing. And so they are having an impact on our ability to lead. They will have an impact on our ability to identify the right types of leaders we need for the future. And, you know, you spent, interesting you mentioned about the, the, the kind of ecosystem approach to, you know, supportive and spreading ideas because that, that's the fundamental ethos of this whole concept behind self-managing organizational structures, right? And, you know, Lelou in his book, Reinventing Organization, talks about teal-based organizations. And, you know, I've, I've had conversations with, with conventional, I say conventional organizations that are still inside the matrix about this. And sometimes they roll their eyes. Sometimes they say it'll never happen. They often say things when I say to them, can you imagine having an organization with leaders that don't have titles. They, can, they can't even bring themselves to think about it. So then I go one step further. It's almost like quite um, sadistic in a sense. I should say, now can you imagine sitting around the table with that leadership team without leadership titles? And they're all setting each other's salaries. And then of course, they go further into the matrix because they, they, they can't, they don't wanna see it. Their frame of reference is quite um, slighted. So for me, what I'm what I'm really interested in is is having the conversations with those organizations in the language that they understand to show them the un, indisputable stuff out there that will impact their organizations and their approach to leadership in the future. All I'm trying to do is to accelerate that. Really, um, you know, and I have no other agenda than really wanting to to improve the the experience that we have in the work environment the the way that we develop leaders i i want leaders to 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 learn what they want to learn to be developed how they want to be developed to be assessed in their performance in and 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 be part of the team that pull together those metrics to measure them because by the way you know in today's organizations and approach to learning the majority, the majority of these organizations give leaders pre-prescribed learning pathways. They've never been engaged in what they want to learn. And then we expect them to learn. And oh, by the way, we, we then assess them on metrics that they've never been engaged in to talk about, whether that's the metric to assess them by. 
And while we're at it, why are we even assessing leaders anyway? Why are we why are we still, you know, believing that an outdated performance evaluation and measurement system works? It doesn't. In fact, research shows um, you take away the, the performance rating process, you actually increase a person's performance. It, it improves their, their productivity. And, and, and so, you know, all these things are are slowly surfacing and they will at some point become a tipping point. And what will that tipping point be? Yeah. I will, I will sort of end this with a, can you imagine, <laughs> can you imagine, um, when your book is out there and millions upon millions of people are reading it and more importantly, millions upon millions of people are engaged in an ecosystem and a community where they're talking to each other and supporting each other in whatever stage of this growth that they're in. Have you envisioned it? Every day, every day, Bill, every yeah. day. Yeah. Good. Every day I see it. You know, I see a world where people speak their truth. They step into their voice. They own their voice. They own their actions. They own their words. They own their values. They live their values. Um, no one throws anyone under the bus ever, ever. Um, politics is a dirty word. Um, we see the brilliance in others always. And we, you know, we reintroduce honesty into the organization and we lead without ego. Now, many people might say ego is invaluable and we need it. And yes, to an extent we do, but not to the detriment of, of the, the negative impact it's caused our organizations. I mean, I, 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 I truly want people to show up themselves in an organization and, and, and be proud of showing up to an organization themselves as themselves to work in an organization where they feel safe. And I'm not, you know, I know psychological safety is, is a, is a bit of a buzzword at the moment and everybody's talking about it, but why don't we address the conditions that, that, um, that underpin the need for psychological safety. It's the fact that we don't have trust in organizations. We don't have trust in our people. I see a world in a future organization where trust is back in. Trust is the new currency. And people align with their purpose and doing what they want to do, doing what they enjoy. And, and maybe I'm utopic, but you know what? I don't care. Well, uh, thank you for trusting me with your story and letting me be part of the ecosystem to echo it. Um, it goes without saying, I mean, obviously you and I have connected a number of times, but um, I'm really grateful I put on that podcast on December 4th, um, 2020. Um, and I'm proud to support this in many ways that I can. I'm very excited for the people that are gonna be listening to this, all corners of the world. Um, and appreciate you sharing. Yeah, I, I, just one final comment. I want to talk about hummingbirds. Um, yes, please. The reason that you sat and listened to that podcast on December the 4th was because of a hummingbird. And I was in uh, Mississippi, and I got an email from Rebecca to remind me that uh, the podcast is starting in half an hour. Are you, are, you are you doing it still? And I was going through my own undulations of doubt, insecurity, weakness and you know thinking my quest who's going to listen to me i i'm you know i'm not an adam grant you know i'm not a jim collins you know but that was precisely the thing that tipped me over the edge to say this is bigger this is this is disruption on a bigger plane and 
as I was thinking through this, I saw a hummingbird. A hummingbird just came in front of me. And, you know, to me, <clears throat> stopped me in my tracks, stopped those insecurities, and, and, it, and it allowed me to focus on the bigger picture here, Bill. And I went on to that podcast, unprepared, unscripted, raw. And that was the start of, of the journey. So um, thank you to Rebecca, sincerely, and, and thank you for you listening. And, um, and, and that really solidified for me the fact that there is something bigger than, than me. And there's something bigger than us. And we need to, at whatever point we're ready, we will listen. We will hear it. So. And the hummingbird will remind us when we need to be taken outside of our frame. And I know even yesterday we were talking the day before, you've had a hummingbird visit you right where you're at in Canada. So yep. it's a wonderful He's out there right now. He's on the, on the top of a branch. I can see him. He's watching over me. So, um, but yes, Good. hummingbirds, hummingbirds, don't ignore the hummingbird sign. They are, they are definitely science. Thank Thanks so much, uh, Paul. This was a great discussion, um, and I can't wait to hear more. Um, and I have no doubt you'll be back on this podcast, by the way. So I'm just putting a little <laughs> yeah, reservation I'd out love there. To. I'd love to. Yeah, <laughs> you're no, good with that. So 